You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Andy Fidock. Hello, dear friends. Greetings to you from the Fiji Islands, where we say Mbula Vinaka. Our reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. We begin reading from verse 24 to verse 35. Matthew 13, verse 24 to 35. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner, owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. He told them, Another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in to a large amount of flour until it worked through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Today we are continuing our series on the Kingdom of Heaven and we're looking at Matthew chapter 13. And that's where Jesus told a heap of parables. I must admit to you though, when I opened up my Bible to look at the passage I would be preaching to you guys today, I felt a bit overwhelmed. (laughs) As Kirk uh, brought to us last week, when the disciples asked Jesus, he said this, I speak to them in parables because it fulfills prophecy about me that some people will hear what I have to say, but not understand it. So I read that and I think, God, what if I don't understand it? What if I get up the front of your church and I try to explore and explain these parables and I just have got it wrong? God, would you please help me find the answers to the questions I have before I make a fool of myself? Many of you today listening to my talk may have grown up in a similar context to me here in Australia. We're at school, we often sit down in our classrooms with the teacher up the front and they teach us facts and information, what process to go through to find our answers in a text, formulas we can use to figure out the answer to a maths equation. 
And this can be a really great way for us to learn. It's a really good feedback loop, right? Because if you get the answer right, the teacher will give you a tick. And if you get the answer wrong, they'll give you a cross. And you know that you have to go back and try again. And obviously I know not all of our learning is like that. We also have like art class and creative writing, but a, a big chunk of our learning is. So for me, I'm so used to that type of learning that when I come to the Bible, I often can't help but going, God, where are the answers to the questions I have? How do I find them? I look at the parable of the wheat and the weeds that we just got read to us, and I think it would be a lot easier if God had just made it like a high school maths equation like this. A man sowed 185 good seeds in his field to grow wheat. While everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed 150 bad seeds among the wheat. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. At harvest time, the man had 2,500 kilograms of harvested plant material. If each good seed, X, produces eight kilograms of wheat, how many kilograms of weeds does each bad seed, Y, produce? Easy peasy God, I know my algebra, just give me a few minutes and I'll work it out. But the reality is parables just aren't that simple. Now, fortunately for us, Jesus' disciples also didn't find that first parable in our reading today, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, just super simple, easy peasy. If we flick forward to just after our reading, they actually ask Jesus for an explanation. So when I got to that, I was like, yes, it's like flicking forward to the back of the maths book to get the answer. And we read this. Then he, Jesus, left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. <sighs> Thanks, Jesus, for that explanation. Wait a second. Why do I still have so many questions? I don't know about the disciples who first got to read that explanation, but for me personally, when I read that, it just opens up a whole new set of questions that I have. For example, why did Jesus only tell that version to the disciples when they asked him? Why didn't he tell that version to everyone? And who is Jesus referring to when he has, says the son of man? Is he talking about himself? If the weeds are described as the people of the evil one, and if the son of man has power, why doesn't he just pull out the weeds at the very start? Why would he let them grow until the end of the harvest? Especially if it says that at the end of the harvest, they're gonna get thrown into a blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, oh, I do not like the sound of that. 
And is there going to be a blazing furnace at the end of the age? Is the end of the age coming soon? Is that hell? Ah, there's so many questions. And especially why does Jesus say at the end of this, let everyone who has ears to hear listen if he's only talking to his disciples? Where do we even begin? A bit of a recap from last week, whether you're here or not, uh, Kirk started talking to us about the parables and he gave us a definition of parables that I think will be a good place for us to at least start. He said that a parable is a short fictional story that teaches us something true about life. And sometimes these short stories have real clear teaching that gives us a moral action that we can go on and live out in our life. But sometimes they're not that clear. They're more complicated and just require us to go through more of a process of discovery. Like this one, which is a bit more complex, even with Jesus' explanation. Later on in our reading today at the end of what we read, in verse 34, it says, Jesus spoke all these things in parables, to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. It says things hidden since the creation of the world. To me, that seems that the things that Jesus is hiding for us to find in these parables, unfortunately, isn't supposed to be as easy to discover and understand as a year eight maths equation. So I've had to reconsider, uh, reconsider this, take a deep breath and trust in God that it's actually okay if I don't understand the answer straight away. It's supposed to be complex. It's okay if I can't figure it all out. And to be honest with you, that's probably a good thing if I can't figure it all out straight away because it means I spend more time with God in His Word and more time bringing my questions before Jesus in relationship with Him. I've actually found two things have been really helpful for me as I've tried to approach these parables with that kind of mindset. And those things are context and relationships. So the first one, context. I'm talking about the context of the initial audience. Who heard this parable first? And also the broader context of the Bible story that we have. And the second is relationship. So that's the relationship that we have with God, but also the relationship that we have with each other. Those are two things that I want you to remember because I'm gonna see if you can remember those two things, relationship and context later in my talk. Now, even with the help of context and relationship, I'm not gonna be able to answer all your questions today. I'm not even gonna be able to answer all the questions I have about these parables today, but I do think that this is a really good place for us to start. We're actually gonna come back to the parable of the wheat and the weeds. I think instead we'll start with the next parable that I'm reading today, that at least at face value is a lot less scary than something that talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth and a fiery furnace. So we're gonna start with the parable of the mustard seed. And I've actually asked my good friend Ella to introduce that parable to us and why it's a significant one for her. Hi St. John's, I'm Ella. I go here to St. John's at the Sunday at six service and I'm also a volunteer youth leader here. I am also the student support coordinator for an organization called Mustard. And I'm not talking about the condiment. Um, the people before me named this organisation Mustard after the parable of the mustard seed. 
Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So they were really inspired by this parable of the mustard seed and the idea that something as tiny as a mustard seed can grow into this massive mustard tree. Um, the vision of mustard is to see lives transformed by Jesus in schools, particularly. And our mission is to see students leading students to Jesus. So specifically what that means is that we encourage students um, to be leaders for Jesus in their schools. So they'll go and they'll typically lead lunchtime groups in their schools uh, where they're encouraging their peers and teaching them about Jesus. We've had some really young leaders um, in year seven and eight who are typically really shy, step out and say, I want to be a part of this. And that's always really exciting because a lot of the time what happens with these really young leaders is that they start these lunchtime groups and their peers come along and the group starts to become really successful and flourishing and there's heaps of people who come along. And then in Ballarat particularly, we've had this happen a number and number of times so that a majority of the schools in Ballarat now have these lunchtime groups occurring in their schools and students are bringing in their friends and their friends are coming to know Jesus. And I think this mustard seed um, is becoming a mustard tree in these particular circumstances. Our students um, are growing these massive lunchtime groups um, and going God's kingdom is really starting to um, flourish and we're seeing people coming to know Jesus. That gets me excited. Um, I'll be coming to share more about what we do in November and I'm really keen to see you then. How cool is that? That the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that Jesus is king of, is a kingdom where something as seemingly as small and insignificant as a shy year seven starting a lunchtime group at their school can grow into something enormous in God's kingdom where many people will come to know the good news about Jesus. So that's a great thing that at first glance we can take from this parable, but I don't want us to just stop there. Let's go a bit deeper. So I wonder if you remember the first thing I said that helps me <laughs> uh, when I look at parables. It was context. <laughs> so who was the initial audience of this parable? Well, among the crowd that was listening to Jesus speak was his 12 disciples. They were the students that followed Jesus around and witnessed his ministry and learned from him. Now, I found out that uh, parables weren't actually a unique teaching tool of just Jesus. It was pretty common for rabbis, so Jewish teachers, to teach their students in this way, to give them an opportunity uh, to find hidden truths inside a story so that the students would actually have to go through this process of discovery uh, to find what their rabbi was trying to teach them found out that in this rabbinical tradition, it was pretty common for young Jewish boys as early as the age of five to start memorizing the scriptures. So at age five, they'd start orally learning and memorizing the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. 
And then as they get older, progressively, they would start memorizing more and more of the scriptures in the old, what we now call the Old Testament. So these disciples, they know their Old Testament like nothing else. They know it inside out and back to front because they've been memorizing it since they were kids. So as the disciples are listening to Jesus share these stories with them, they're probably having a think themselves and discussing with each other. Does this remind us of anything that we know about our God from the scriptures that we have? Jesus said, though it is the smallest of seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so big that birds come and perch in its branches. This might have reminded the disciples what they already knew about their God, that he was the kind of God that took something small, but used it for a really big plan like a young shepherd boy named David who killed a giant Goliath with a stone and then went on to become the king of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. Or a young woman, Jochebed, who saving her baby Moses, just putting him in a small boat, uh, small basket to float down the river so he didn't get killed. She saved the kid that would end up growing up and be the person that God chose as his person to help rescue the people from Egypt. They may have also, the disciples may have also remembered what the prophet Ezekiel had said when he had spoken God's words to the people during their time of exile saying that God had said he would take a small twig and he would plant it on the top of a tree and that twig would grow into a big tree. That would be the nation of Israel where birds would come, all types of birds would come and perch in its branches. Again, something small and insignificant like a twig, but growing into something big where not just God's chosen people, but all people could come and find shelter and refuge. So with that kind of context, you can see this beautiful richness that the disciples would have floating through their minds. Wow, is Jesus saying that the kingdom of heaven is like that? Then with all of that going on, they would have heard Jesus' next parable, which he says, which is this. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Again, yeast, although small like a mustard seed, can in time, when you leave it to rest, cause dough to grow into something big. But the disciples may have also been thinking in their context, Jesus, why are you using yeast to describe your kingdom? Yeast is the exact thing that you actually ask us to leave out of our bread when we remember what you did for us during the Passover festival. And often Jesus' yeast is actually used to describe sin, uh, how something so small that you can't see is actually so insidious in the way it spreads and can uh, infect or uh, affect a whole dough. Jesus, what do you mean that you would use, that you would describe your kingdom like that? You see, for them, context is really helpful, but even with all the context in the world, Uh, like the disciples, we should still have questions because Jesus' parables are supposed to be 
challenging and confronting because what Jesus is describing is the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom that is unexpected. And it's unexpected and it means that we should live in ways that we might see as unexpected as people of that kingdom. I wonder if you remember the second thing that I had told you. (laughs) It helps me when I look at parables. Relationship. Parables seem to be best understood when we look at them in our relationship with Jesus and also in the relationships that we have with each other. Actually, this seems to be exactly why Jesus made the parables so complicated because his disciples had to come to him and ask for help. They had to come to their rabbi who they were in relationship and say, hey, Jesus, we don't get this one. Uh, When they get to the parable of the wheat and the weeds, that's exactly what they had to do. Fortunately for them in their context, that explanation that I read earlier would have made a bit more sense to them. For example, that image of the fiery furnace uh, that makes me and maybe you go, oh, I don't like that bit, God, like what are you talking about there? Probably didn't stump them. Jesus was alluding to the kind of language that they would know pretty well from the scriptures, that they have a just God that does not allow evil to prevail, that their God will not allow injustice to remain forever, and that he will let out his wrath on that wrath on that injustice because it is evil and it hurts people. Jesus' language in this explanation that he gives his disciples also probably reminded, would have reminded them to the echoes of what they can read in the book of Daniel. Where Daniel, in the book of Daniel, it talks about the figure, the son of man, playing a really decisive role in the end of the age. I'm not going to go very far into that end of age questions. Uh, we'll look at it a little bit more next week as we keep looking at the parables. But what I actually wanted to point out is just that that's probably not the part of this parable that the disciples got stumped on. I'm really interested on what the disciples did get stumped on because I reckon that's the kind of questions Jesus was prompting them to ask. So instead, the disciples were probably perplexed that if Jesus is saying that the son of the man, uh, the son of man has the power to destroy all evil, why isn't he destroying it now? You see, his disciples are part of the nation of Israel. They're the Jewish people who'd been waiting for a king to come to deliver them from evil. They'd been waiting for a king that would deliver for them from the oppressive powers of Rome. They'd been under oppression for so long and with other nations and just gone through so much. They're like, we want a king to come and rescue us. So, but instead, Jesus doesn't describe the kingdom like that. He describes the kingdom as something that starts really small and seemingly insignificant, like a mustard seed or some yeast in a dough. And while that small kingdom starts to grow into something bigger, evil is going to be allowed to remain. The evil people will remain among the righteous until the very end of the age. They're not going to be riped out right there and then. So I'd probably be asking Jesus, why is the kingdom like this? Maybe actually you, without realizing it, have been stumped by a similar question, or maybe you've had this question asked of you. Why would a good God allow so much evil to remain in the world? 
That's a question that the disciples would have had to keep wrestling with, with as they followed Jesus around and start to begin to see in practice, what does this kingdom look like? As they saw Jesus perform miracles and heal people and uh, enable people who are the outsiders, those on the outskirts to be invited into this kingdom. They would have seen that in this kingdom, uh, Jesus was forgiving people that were considered sinners, people that were considered those that do evil, that are bad, turning away, repenting from their sin and being invited and becoming real members of this kingdom. The kinds of people that if God, if Jesus had been premature in his judgment, if he hadn't uh, been patient in it, they could have been plucked and thrown into the fire before they had a chance to turn to Jesus. Now, there is a lot more in this that we could unpack. But I hope that for you today, uh, by looking a bit of the context together and inviting you to ask Jesus your questions in relationship with Him, that it's actually encouraged you and made you excited like it has for me to delve into God's Word deeper, not scared of not finding all the answers straight away, but excited that because of Jesus, I've been invited into mysteries and things that have been hidden since the creation of the world. So I really urge you to bring your questions before Jesus. He loves to be in relationship with you and wants to work this out with you. And also bring it into relationship with each other. The disciples wouldn't have just been mulling over it in themselves in their mind. They would have been chatting it out, being like, hey, does this story remind you of anything that we know from God in the past? Hey, this reminded me of this thing back in that thing we learned when we were five. What do you think that means about the kingdom? And importantly, what do you think that means about how we as members of this kingdom should live? If you are part of a life group, that's a really, really great place for you to be having these discussions. And if you're not part of a life group, I'd really encourage you to consider joining one. As I leave you today, I want you to remember those two things when you're approaching a parable, because I think they're a great place to start. Context and relationship. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.